0: 290. That is where the death toll now stands in the Sri Lankan bombings that happened this Easter weekend. The vast majority of the victims are from Sri Lanka, along with 39 foreigners from countries such as Australia, Great Britain, China, the United States and others. 24 people have been arrested in connection with the explosions that took place at popular hotels and well-known churches. This is a country that is very religiously diverse. About 7.5% of the population in Sri Lanka is Christian. The vast majority, 70%, are Buddhist, about 12% are Hindu, and almost 10% are Muslim. Now, information and kind of visuals about the explosions has been a little slow to come out of the country, and that may have to do with the fact that the government has blocked social media sites such as WhatsApp and Facebook after the attacks happened. Uh, They said it was to prevent misinformation being spread, and that's, that's a very legitimate concern. But there are also questions about what the government may or may not have known or what they were warned about ahead of time questions. Who did this? Why? I mean, people are still wondering. They want to know what went on here. Now, outlets like the New York Times are reporting that the government did have warnings about the attack. The Times is reporting that as early as April 4th, security agencies in India shared specific intelligence about the possibility of suicide attacks with counterparts in Sri Lanka. So questions surround the president who controls the security services for what he did and didn't know and what he did or perhaps did not pass on. So the country's president has now given the military some pretty sweeping powers to arrest and detain suspects after the nine bombings in this case. Now, for more on this, uh, CBS radio military analyst Mike Lyons joined Sterling Fox this morning on the John McComb show and explained what the intelligence community likely knows at this point and who the people behind the attacks may be.
1: Well, they have actually have about 24 people now arrested in connection with this uh, devastating suicide bombings that took place, coordinated against uh, hotels and churches, clearly a, a, an attack on people of faith. Um, the government's blaming a national Throhith Jamaya or little-known radical Islamic organization, for the bombings. And it did say it had some information out before. There were some warnings by individuals on social media. Um, and it's, it's likely that uh, they're going to investigate also that they were involved internationally, that they must have gotten help from folks outside of Sri Lanka. That will be probably where they'll start when they look to investigate.
0: So the country's civil war, as we've been hearing, ended about 10 years ago. In fact, 2009 is when uh, peace was finally made. But as Michael Lyons pointed out, that Islamist jihadist movement that exists in parts of the Middle East is present in Sri Lanka. In fact, other countries have been on alert through the, that part of Asia, uh, waiting for signs of this. And some of those in the group choose to attack what they call easy or soft targets.
1: The, the civil war that was fought was significant. Um, went on for- Many years, and, and it did end over uh, about ten years ago. But it, it looks like now this is about the unfortunate spread of this Islamist jihadist uh, movement that takes place um, in the world that's that, that that's gained momentum outside of you know the Middle East and Middle East proper. Let's say. Um, and they look for targets of, of opportunity uh, and use these ter- terrorist threats. I mean, there's nothing you can do to prevent a suicide bomber other than stop the means from the individual of having the capability to do it. And that's probably where the government said that they failed. They, sh- they should have been more vigilant in, in taking this threat more seriously and checking in on these people before it happened.
0: And that is where a lot of this focus is right now, because as I mentioned, other countries are saying, listen, we shared intelligence with Sri Lanka about this very specific threat. And once they shared that with the security agencies, nobody look what happened to it? We're, why were people not alerted? Why didn't they not put extra precautions in place? Mike Lyons said that, as well as the threats and the warnings of the attack through social media weren't taken seriously, at least not anywhere near as much as they should have been,
1: and I think that the, the we're always challenged in today's world with that because of, of the saturation that takes place and what people put out there in different forms, both in written and audio and, and video format, I believe there was a, a YouTube video of one of the individuals here claiming uh, that they would increase this, this war and take uh, the message and, and the threat and, and the attacks to um, the infidels. Um, but it, it gets dismissed as either crazy or just too broad and, and, and capable of actually trying to follow up on them. But I think in today's world, it's something that they're going to have to uh, reconsider. They ended up suspending social media activity on Sri Lanka for That's right, yeah. uh, the time being. Yeah, because and that's way to, to make sure this information wasn't getting out, and they weren't allowing. Let's say uh, the enemy was using um, social media in order to communicate, then it would it shut them off from doing that.
0: Right, but the s- system, the way the country is set up with its government, is also raising a lot of questions here because the prime minister of Sri Lanka, who is Ranil Wickremesinghe. Rick- Rick- uh, is asking questions, address the media after the attack, saying that the government is going to be investigating. And the reason why that is, is it is the president who is in charge of the national security agencies. There has been this kind of ongoing political dispute between the president and the Prime Minister. So you've got the President, who may have been told by the security agencies what the warnings and the threats were, and now you've got the Prime Minister, who did not know and was not told, saying that the government's going to be investigating the reason that robust security precautions were not in place.
2: While this goes on, we must also look into why adequate precautions were not taken in this respect. But first and foremost... We have to ensure that terrorism does not lift its head in Sri Lanka. We cannot allow that. And we are prepared to take all measures necessary to ensure that terrorism is contained and wiped out in this country. We will get all assistance possible from Sri Lanka and outside to contain this menace and to wipe it out. What we should do is hold our unity as Sri Lankans and ensure that we wipe out this menace once and for all.
0: That is Prime Minister Ranil uh talking about what the government plans to do here. The Justice Minister as well has also spoken out uh, saying we are ashamed of what has happened. He called the attacks a colossal failure on the part of the intelligence services. So You can kind of see that within the government here, the lines are already being drawn. They've got several ministers in the government now calling on the nat- national police chief to also resign here. And meanwhile, you've got... the supporters of the president who are pushing back saying that, no, no, we did everything possible. So they've actually appointed a special committee already that is led by a Supreme court judge to uh, investigate this matter. And so there is, what did they know? What did they not know at this point? And how much warning did they give to people or how much security did they put in place? And the reason why as well, this is generating so much discussion is that that 10 years of peace in Sri Lanka uh, really changed things in that country where every year they have seen increasing numbers of tourists come to Sri Lanka where tourism now is a huge industry there as demonstrated by kind of the targets that were chosen by the group involved here. Dil, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this very difficult subject. This, it was near and dear to you. You know a lot about this area.
2: I do, Simi. Um, I was, I'm a Sri Lankan now living in Ireland for the last 20 years. And I, I left Sri Lanka when I was 21. Like many LGBTQ people, I, I felt I had to leave uh, because homosexuality is yet to be decriminalized in Sri Lanka, but but having said all that, it's still uh, my my home country, and I absolutely adore it. And and we really thought that it's nearly a decade of peace. You know, since the civil war ended in 2009, and we we genuinely thought that these times were were really behind us. And I think I speak for all Sri Lankans, not just the ones who are living in Sri Lanka, but around the world, that we're really shocked that um, we are back. It feels like. We are back in that horrible, traumatic place again, where we're almost afraid to watch news uh, because there was another explosion today, and it just feels too too familiar for us all.
0: Yeah, was is that what it was like before the peace did happen ten years ago?
2: Yeah, it was always a, there. Was an element of unpredictability? You just didn't know when uh, there would be a, a bomb and where it would happen. It was just a. You know, it is very difficult for people to actually live, uh, live a you know a, a sort of a normal, regular life because uh, it just went on and on for for decades. And it was mainly be- between the Tamils and the Sinhalese, so mainly the Buddhists and the, and the Hindu. And this has really caught us by surprise that what, for the first time Christians have been targeted. And for me personally, the Church Saint Anthony's Church in Colombo would have would have been the church that my family went to. I have very fond memories of. Growing up in Sri Lanka and going to that church with my, with my with my grandfather, and that church um, has a special significance for people from Colombo because it's very inclusive. You have Buddhist, Hindu, and Muslims who go to that church because um, Saint Anthony, for for some reason, is is is, is um, respected by people from different religions. And is the lovely thing is you would have a Christian uh, worshipping shoulder to shoulder with a. With a Hindu person or a Muslim person in this church, and it 's really quite tragic that this it had to be the target of this and then the hotel the cinnamon grand would would be a hotel that I, I stayed in just less than a year ago, and my cousin my my, my the entire family was meant to be having lunch there. And the manager who took their reservation and sadly mm-hmm. died in the, in the in the bomb blast. So it, it is extremely close to my heart, and it's uh, horrific to, to know that unfortunately all this is happening unfolding all over again.
0: Dil, how large is the Christian population in Sri Lanka?
2: It's quite large. I believe it's about one point seven million. I mean, it, uh, for for a small country, we have a, quite a large population. Uh, I think it's 17 or 18 million uh, people, uh, and you know, we try and we're to explain that to Irish people, uh, who you know our country here is like what well, six million people. They're like, what? <laughs> you know, it sounds so so big. But the beauty about Sri Lanka is that they've had four major religions. You have the Buddhist, we have the Hindu, we have the we the Christians, and the um, the Hindus, and we all live you know, side by side, um, we coexist happily. Anyone who's ever traveled to Sri Lanka will be very familiar that one moment you could hear the call for prayer from the mosque and the next moment you'd hear church bells ringing. And we actually would um, we observe all the public holidays. Like Buddhists, the, the full moon is a sacred day for them. So on a, on a monthly basis, we have a bank holiday on the full moon. And then this before we talk about Christmas and Easter and before we look at the Muslim holidays and the Hindu holidays. So... It's in a way, Sri Lanka is a model how you know religion Mm -hmm. can coexist, and yet we've we've had you know uh, numerous uh, acts of senseless violence over the years. And you know, when the civil war ended in two thousand nine, and I know i speak for many Sri Lankans, we were all very uneasy at how it ended because it didn't feel like there was real meaningful resolution uh, between the two parties involved. And and I suppose I I in some way feel this is something that was going to reemerge because you know, the road pieces is, is, is a very long, hard and precious one. And, and I, I really felt in 2009, the way it was handled, it wasn't done in a, in a way that, um, that was, that brought meaningful uh, resolution for both sides. So it, it's, really sad that we might we may be at the start of uh, yet another conflict in our country
0: there is a lot of questions about the, the what the government knew or didn't know perhaps leading up to this they also blocked some social media sites such as Facebook and WhatsApp immediately after the bombing what what kind of relationship does the government have with the people there
2: ah uh, well it it's really interesting when it comes to media and, and Sri Lanka because my my cousin um and I'm going to try and not get upset when I mention his name, Richard de would be the first Sri Lankan journalist who died over 25 years ago because of his journalistic integrity. And they still commemorate his, um, his death on an annual basis because he spoke out during the, the troubles in Sri Lanka and leaked to the international media just the, the level of Discrimination that was happening um, between the Sinhalese and and the Tamils, and and as a result, he was actually murdered and by, by the Sri Lankan death police. So so there is a a very uh, again uncomfortable history there between the Sri Lankan government and the media, and it and I find it very interesting that there ha- there haven't been any images of the the hotels that have been that were affected. Yeah. By the bomb blast you know the, you only see the pictures of the of the the churches and i think it's mainly because of the tourist industry they don't want uh this this horrendous incident to impact on the tourist um trade of, of in Sri lanka because it is uh, unfortunately one one of their biggest industries uh, but I, ju- I just feel when you start you know you know the, the democracy you know true democracy if um if journalists are able to speak their mind and and sri lanka has a long history where there's been self-censorship where journalists have not been able to speak their mind because they knew if they did, something like what drastic that happened to, to Richard de Souza may happen, may happen to them. And, and it's really interesting that the government has known about this um, you know, since January. Actually in January this year, they apprehended a group of people uh, and found 100 kilos of, of explosives and 90 detonators. Uh, and this was just in January, so so they knew something was happening and and I believe that even the ministers were told. To increase the security detail which they did but unfortunately none of this information was passed on to the public because I think again they, they didn't want to maybe uh, you know maybe make people panic maybe even um, let it leak into the international press which then would uh, maybe impact on the tourist rate and, and I think that is a really dangerous ground because what what's more important here is people or profit absolutely people are more important and I know there's a lot of Sri Lankans uh, a lot of us living either there and abroad how outraged at the fact that the sri lankan government knew this and they didn't act a, in a in an efficient uh, and timely fashion
0: it's interesting though that when you talk about the tourism industry in sri lanka because 10 years ago that wouldn't have been the case and so that really indicates how how far sri lankan uh, sri lanka has come when it comes to peace and and putting that out there in the world
2: mm, yeah absolutely i mean it, in 10 years i think um, people are feeling much more comfortable about Traveling over to Sri Lanka, even when I went over last year for the first time in uh, in, in a number of years um, because my mother was ill, I remember being quite surprised at the at the the level. Uh, Growing up in Sri Lanka, I was so used to police and army checkpoints uh, every every few uh, you know kilometers. You know, uh, going into a hotel or even going through the airport, you won't be able to go into a government building without um, you know metal detectors. You know, it was a very common. Um, it's a way of life but and last year when i went there there was none of that you know so so there was a, a real feeling i felt that um, people thought oh the troubles are very much behind us uh, and maybe there's an element of you know they're realizing now. Hang on, maybe we were a little bit too complacent, and we didn't take uh, the, what happened in in January and a few other incidents they had. Even they had an incident, a serious, quite a serious incident last year as well, which involved a, a death of a of a a, a, a Buddhist uh, a man and, and a Muslim man. So these are all I think um, incidents that should have been taken more seriously. Uh, and, you know, and, and instead, of, uh, and, and instead of worrying about how is this going to impact the image of Sri Lanka, again, let's bring it back to the people. You know, people's safety is, is very important. And, and if something like this is happening, there are undercurrents, you know, we need to be mindful of this because if there's political unrest. Let's bring everybody to the table and let's talk it out
0: before it escalates to, to census violence. Well, Dil, thank you so much for talking to us about that. Thank you so much, Simi, for having me.